Welcome back in everyone to a fabulous new episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are racing right into the holidays with a great holiday show, a wholesome holiday show, if you will. <laughs> Joining us today, we have the co-creator and lyricist, Patrick Spencer, the co-creator and book writer, Charlie O'Leary, who are here to talk to us today about Cartwheel Theatrical's presentation of an Axmas story. It's playing November 30th through December 17th at the Players Theater, and you can go ahead and head over to OvationTix.com for tickets and more information. We are so excited about this new show that's being presented. We can't wait to see it ourselves. It's definitely setting itself apart from the traditional holiday shows. So why don't we bring in the experts to talk about this show? Patrick, Charlie, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much. Yeah, hi, everybody. <laughs> Happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be talking about an Axmas story. It's not a Christmas carol. It's not a, you know, it's not your traditional nutcracker or anything like that. We've got this brand new original musical that you both uh, created along with your third co-creator. So Patrick, I want to start with you and having you give us, you know, a, a synopsis essentially. What is the story or what is Axmas story about? Sure, sure, sure. So Axmas and Axmas story is, it's a holiday themed take on 80s slasher films. So you know, think Friday the 13th, where all of the, the 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 poor teens are getting chopped down by, you know, serial killers. But instead, we're sitting on a Christmas tree farm, and it takes place in the perspective of trees. So, you know, instead of Freddy torturing teens, we have all of the humans coming to grab some some trees <laughs> for the Christmas season. But more so than that, it's just a, like, a, it's a it's a bloody, sappy send-up of capitalism, Christmas shows, sexist, eightist tropes, the religious right. It's, it's about a bunch of things, but mostly it's just a very silly musical with a bunch of tree puns. Who doesn't love tree puns? I'm just going to say that right now. If you do, you're just <laughs> lying to yourself. But I love all of this. I When I read that in the press release, I was like, I'm sold. I don't think you can stop right there. I'm going to get a ticket and go right away. Now, Charlie, as I mentioned, you know, the two of you make up two thirds of this creative team. And I want to know, how did the three of you together come up with this show? Yeah, so actually, and, and here's where I wish that Anthony DeAngelis, our third uh, collaborator, uh, co-creator of the, the piece, and he focused primarily on music, but he and Patrick actually brought me into this project. They had pitched the idea to me, and so it, it originated, I believe, with Anthony. He had the idea for a children's book about the littlest tree on a Christmas tree farm who never got picked, and he thought this was sort of a sweet idea, and then the more he thought about it, the more he realized that, that that's sort of horrifying and that, you know, wanting to be picked would actually mean sort of the, the end of that tree's life. He brought that to Patrick then right before the pandemic began. And they began just workshopping the show. And they wrote, I believe, one or two songs, I believe that are still in the show. Yeah. And they, March 2020 hit, they started writing online. And at that point, you know, they didn't have a, a third writing partner focusing on, on book. And I was living in Iowa at the time. I knew Patrick and Anthony from the BMI Musical Theater Writing Workshop from like 
10 years ago, but I, I was in Iowa for grad school and they said, well, now that a pandemic is forcing all of us to write online anyway, maybe our third collaborator can be in Iowa. And so they came to me with this idea about, you know, Christmas trees being chopped down in the eighties. And I was so enamored. I, you know, I was like, I, you can't hear that pitch and not just sort of jump and want to write that. And so, yeah, they brought me in uh, we started writing and we had a first draft by mid 2021. That is amazing. I love that journey, though. That's incredible. So, Patrick, back to you. As we're getting ready to open the show down at the Players Theater, let me first ask, is this the world premiere of the show or has it played anywhere else? Yeah, so we've actually had a a pretty fun journey with this. Piggybacking off of, you know, the pandemic history of the show, we did our first like public reading at the at the pit the people's improv theater in december of 2021 right during that great old omicron spike that new york city had so we luckily we were not a uh, the cause of an outbreak event but we we we, we did not leave the, that production unscathed so we we yeah we had we had a big public reading back in 2021 which from which we were asked to come to the players theater last year so we did we did a a smaller scale production of an Axmas story at the Players Theater in 2022, which I guess was so well received that they asked us to come back again this year. So we, we after a really great run at 2022, they said, come on back. And so here we are coming back to the Players Theater in 2023. In between those two, we were also fortunate enough to do a workshop with all the kids over at Cap 21. We had like a like a nice four week rehearsal process and got to see what the show looks like with, you know, college kids, which was a bunch of fun. It was awesome. That is amazing. So what has it been like then developing this current iteration of the show? I can only imagine with, you know, developing it over these three years and having these couple productions, the shows evolved a little bit, you know, over each course. So what has this particular iteration been like developing? I think this iteration, along with many iterations, has really we we all could we all consider ourselves co-creators. And a lot of that is because we will get together, we'll do a read-through of the show, and we, the three of us, will decide what we think we can do better. And then we play a little round of what we call the joke game. And in the joke game, we take anything that we thought was okay. And we have an arbitrator and everybody else pitches jokes. And whatever the three of us deem is the funniest. That's what gets edited and entered into the script. So everybody has everybody's had a say with music. Everybody's had a say with lyrics. We've we've had we've had a, a three for joke in in our Christmas pageant that's changed about seventeen hundred times, and we'll probably change another two times before we open the show <laughs> this Christmas. But yeah, it's just been a lot of with with Charlie being out in Iowa and Anthony and I both being here in New York. It's been a lot of teleconferences, a lot of like weekend getaway to Connecticut to like all get in the same place and write. But it's, I mean, for the most part, having these three productions in our wheelhouse, we've gotten so much from the actors that we've worked with. They have helped us shape this show in a way that we could not have done by ourselves. And so we are eternally grateful to all of the actors who have helped make an Xmas story what it is today. That's the best thing, right, about working with great actors is they'll say something funny just as an improv and rehearsal and you're like, oops, stealing it. It's in the show now. Sorry, this is a line. Um, and yeah, we've gotten to work with some great people. So, Oof. Well, and I want to, you know, build upon that with you, Charlie. What has it been like for you developing mm-hmm. this iteration of an Axmas story? 
Yeah, I think that, so the, the 2021 reading we did at the pit was, uh, had a cast of 13 and, and had sort of a very light frame story where the story was being told by a, a grandfather to his, his granddaughter. And, and that was just sort of how we provided narration for the story. And we received a recommendation that, you know, 13 is maybe too big for off or off, off Broadway and try to trim our cast size down a little bit. So I, you know, combined a few tracks and uh, we got it down to a cast size of nine. But what that entailed was really expanding the frame story so now this grandpa telling his granddaughter the story they both double in as characters in the story so there's a meta theatrical element where you know these characters are both jumping into into characters in the past in the 80s and then jumping back into the present to narrate and having conflict with each other in both the past and the present and so i feel like trying to get all of those like meta theatrical threads clear and have that make sense to an audience while they're absorbing just like a lot of tree puns and and you know goofy humor has been a big focus of mine for the past two years, I think, is, is just trying to really get that frame story in shape. And I'm, I'm really happy with where, where it is now. I think that I'm really excited for audiences to see the, how those two worlds fit together. I love that in the midst of this pseudo-horror 80s send-up holiday show, there's meta theater in it. That makes my <laughs> heart so happy. Because I love, like, I don't know, uh, dare I say pun theater that is just so smart. You know what I mean? That's when you know it's really, really good, when it's just so smart, too. And I want to now ask you, Charlie, what is the message or thought that you're hoping the audiences will take away from the show? Yeah, I think initially our, our response to this was always just like, we just want people to have a good time. And I think that we eventually realized it's impossible to write something for three years and not try to not be saying something, even if you try not to. And I think ultimately the show is about that feeling of wanting to grab someone by the shoulders and shake them and say like, can't you see what's going on? And I think that that is sort of the experience of like watching the show in, in on several levels. You know, it, I think that wanting to yell at the world and say like, wake up and see what's right in front of your face is, is what that show is about. And, and I think that if, it encourages an audience to to want to be a little less sleepy in their in their lives. I think that's great. I I think that like it's not part of me wants to part of me knows that the fact that we were writing this during early stage of pandemic knows that like this is a response in some ways to just the feeling of lockdown and the feeling of like that the world was not responding in an appropriate way and and that we you know just were trying it felt like crazy making to see what was so obvious in front of our eyes and and to see you know leadership not do anything about it but i think that's also just the feeling of like being in the world of the past 10 years i think that there so many things are just sort of like can't you see what's going on can't you see history repeating itself so yeah i think that's that's sort of the very full 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 you know answer of what our show's about and, and what i hope an audience might leave with mostly i hope they just laugh oh i can't wait I'm sure I'm going to be laughing so hard. I'm going to just be guffawing. And, and, and... <laughs> Patrick, my final question for this first part I want to send to you, which is who do you hope have access to an axe in the story? Well, everyone, honestly, like we, we, we want, we want everybody to come see the show. Sadly, it, it exists, you know, downtown in New York in a theater that's up three flights of stairs. So we realize that that does very much limit access to who can come see it. 
but we've tried to make it, you know, we, we tried like through partnering with people like Today Ticks and TDF to make tickets more reasonable so that people can actually like come down and see the show. If like, if you can't afford a full price ticket, there are avenues to, to come out and see the show here, here in the city. And if you don't happen to be in New York, we're working on getting you a cast album so that you can, you can listen to this music at home. For the most part, yeah, I, I think to, to echo what Charlie said, it's like, we want, we want everybody who A, needs, or everybody who's wanting to experience a little bit of Christmas, but maybe not necessarily in the traditional Christmas way. Yeah. We are, we are, welcome home. We are for you. Uh, it's all about, but yeah, it's all about inclusivity here. It's like, we, we will, we will make fun of everyone. Everyone is included in our mockery, uh, but then also in our joy as we continue to like, just celebrate and have a good time and, you know, make some tree putts. It's extremely fun. second part of our interview i love to let our listeners get a chance to get to know our guests a little bit more pull back the curtain if you will and charlie i want to start with you on this question and sure. i want to know what or who inspires you what playwrights or composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites oh my gosh see i this could very easily turn into a, a you know, a, just a, a spiral of me naming names because I feel like in the time I spent in New York, especially I saw and read so much theater and I feel like I've just absorbed so much from it that like, I'm so grateful for because there were so many amazing people making work within that, that sort of sphere that I was able to see. Just some people that come to mind off the top of my head. My playwriting background was, I, I learned playwriting from a, a playwright named Anne Garcia Romero who studied with Maria Irene Fornes. So Fornes is always sort of influential in my writing. I, I think that she is, her plays are, are very, very genius and that her approach to writing is really, really special. Tanya Siracho, who is, you know, a big TV writer now, but I love her plays. I, I advocated for one of her plays when I was interning at Second Stage, like 10 years ago now that they did called Malik Yerba that is brilliant. I, Annie Baker, Sam Hunter, Claire Barron, the sort of like, you know, Brandon Jacob Schenkins, these like downtown theater people that everyone loves. And then in, in the musical theater world, um, I think like, I, I mean, Craig Carnelia and John Bucchino are people who like come to mind as like sort of like their song craft is just always so surprising in the way that they would take a song and like you wouldn't know what it was when it when it began and by the time it had opened up by the end you were you had like gone on a full journey without even realizing it which I'm realizing is the same reason I like Annie Baker's plays <laughs> so anyway that was a lot of I I did what I said that I wasn't I was going to try not to do and I named a lot of names, but those are some people who I who I love and admire. And then also just like my friends, like I, there's so many like just people who I know whose work I love, who are just like people that I've been in writers groups with or that I've known over the years. And those I will not name because if I if I start that will actually go on forever. So <laughs> that is a fabulous list, though. I love that. Some of my personal favorites as well on that list. So wonderful. Patrick, what about you? What are who inspires you? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it much shorter than, than Charlie did. But yeah, I think that we, we, we walked in similar circles. So I, I'm definitely inspired by a lot of a lot of the friends that I've, I've come through the BMI workshop with the, just like watching them continue to write and continue to grow. I'm like, I mean, like, like everybody, like, how can you not take 
inspiration from from Stephen Sondheim. He's like he's one of the greats for a reason, especially as like a as as a words person, as a lyrics person. He is so often praised for his his music, but the way he crafts lyric, I think, is is unparalleled. He does some some truly fantastic work. Let's let's let, let's think some other some other like top favorites. I'm a I'm a big I'm a big Andrew Lippa fan. I like I, I like I, I I love a lot like like John and Jen, Wild Party. Like there there's some great music in in Adam's family. Like there there's some like really fun tunes there. And then I think the last one I'll sort of I'll, I'll sort of drop off. Like I mean I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for like the the, the classics. Like the, if we're talking about people that inspire me, it's going to be like Mankin and Ashman, just like the way that those two craft craft music and lyrics together. Yeah, you can't you can't beat it. I love that list. Some great names as well. Andrew Lip, I feel like, is a very underrated composer. Wonderful, wonderful guy there. Have either of you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? You know, I'm living in Chicago now, so I don't know if anyone is listening in Chicago. And I'm, I'm still just getting my feet wet here in the theater scene, which is, you know, also just like huge and really exciting. And there's a lot of work going on all the time. But I just saw a great production of Assassins. And I missed the, the production, the revival last year in New York. And so getting to see it in this moment, I was, it, it is such a, I mean, yeah, as you were just saying, Patrick, like Santa, it's just, it's such a stunning piece of theater and like, uh, such a beautifully crafted show and the production that's going on here in Chicago at the oh I'm blanking on the name of the theater but the Theo I believe it's the Theo and yeah it, it's just it's it's just a great like production of of a show that I had never seen but I knew really well and I wept I just I cried every time a president got shot I cried and usually it was because I identified with the assassin more than I than I ever expected to so yeah that's a wonderful suggestion. Patrick, anything from you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been lucky enough to see a lot of theater. Like we, if we're like, and a lot of Sondheim recently, so we can stay on the Sondheim bag line. Like the, the revival of Merrily is as mm. good as everybody says it is. And like, I mean, like I, I have a, like, that was one of the, the earliest shows I was ever a part of. I was, I was Frank Jr. way back in the day. And I saw it again in my twenties when they did it like at, at Encores and now seeing it again in my thirties now, I'm just like, is the sh is the show getting better or do I just appreciate the show as I get older? Anyway, I, I the, this this production is great. And speaking of COVID musicals, we we just saw Here We Are off Broadway, and it was it was very good. It like it definitely like Act Act One is more musical, Act Two is more play because sadly Steve wasn't around to, to finish writing it. But boy, I I, I wish he could have because there, there there there's the Act One was was all promise and Act Two was awesome. And then. The, all of all of the magic in the second act of Back to the Future is just like stagecraft at its finest. It's it's just it's truly magical. It's just so like if we're talking about like spectacle musical theater, it it's like it's it's reminiscent to like in the '90s when you see Beast transform on stage. But it's like now that we're 30 years past that, it's it's that much cooler. So yeah, all all about that. <laughs> Yes. Yes, a thousand times. I'm really hoping I get to see Here We Are because I'm dying to see Sondheim's final show. I want to ask you two now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Patrick, I want to start with you on that. Sure. I think I think for me, 
it's the collaborative art form process of it. Like there's there's a reason why I don't like to I don't like to write by myself. I like to write with people. There's a reason that theater is is it it takes more than one person to see or to put on a show. You need you need all sorts you need you need design, you need writing, you need actors, you 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 need everything. And it's a bunch of people like my my coach dance with this. I I use this all the time, but it's it's a bunch of people coming together to create something that nobody could have created on their own. And that's what I love most about the theater. That's a fabulous answer. I love that. Charlie, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I obviously I feel like fundamentally my answer is the same. Like I just love collaboration. And I I I write more non-musical plays than than musicals. Most of my my work is is in non-musical theater. And and playwriting is generally a solitary form. Like I, I go and sit in my room by myself and clicky clacky and and then you know have a hundred pages and then we then we read it. But the actual like in that process is, you know, it's it is special to me that that is like a solitary process. But then the actual thing that I like love and that makes it all worth it is getting to be in the room when it happens and like as you're figuring it out together with a group of actors. And I always I like the the metaphor that I, I feel like I've been using recently is like it, it feels like building a house in the dark and you can't see anything inside of it. And then you bring collaborators in and everybody has a flashlight and they point around and you can then finally see all the corners of the room and you can see what you built. But there's no way to see what you built until like a bunch of people come in with the flashlights and show you. And so I think that that's like the collaboration that I like, love the most is being able to like jump into a room with a bunch of people who are going to help me figure out what the heck I wrote and they probably are gonna figure it out faster than me. And that is like the most thrilling thing in the world. Yeah. I love that analogy. I might have to steal that. That's a brilliant analogy. And that leads us to my favorite question, which is what is your favorite theater memory? I mean, if I'm if I'm going to continue talking about Sondheim, which I probably will. My mom was a piano player, so I grew up going to musical rehearsals with my mom because that's better than daycare. Like you just go with her to rehearsal. And I remember sitting in on a dress rehearsal for Into the Woods, and I like vividly remember when the the cast of characters turned on the narrator. And I was like, that's a thing that can happen. And that like clearly has like, if you come see an Axmas story, that's literally all the show is. It's just like the, the the characters turning on each other and on the, like it's all meta theatrics, but like, like that clearly has stuck with me as like an influential moment in theater that is now like a part of what I find interesting and, and what I write in theater. I love that. What a wonderful memory. Shout out to mom. Yeah. Get on your mom. That's fabulous. mom. <laughs> Charlie, what about you? I always wish that I had like the story of seeing a musical, you know, like when I was like seven and it like inspired me. Like the first musical I saw was Annie. And I remember afterwards thinking that was fun. And I, I sort of didn't get back to theater for another like five or, or seven years after that. But the first thing that came to mind actually when you asked that question was back in 2016, there was a production of an Adam Bach play called A Life at Playwrights Horizons that I saw about a week after it had been announced that, that Trump had won the election. And this play begins with a very long monologue uh, delivered by a gay man in his middle age. And then there's a scene, and then there's a scene of him alone on stage. And then he has a heart attack uh, about 40 minutes into the play and dies. And we watch his body just sit on stage for a minute, two minutes. There's sort of a soundscape. We can hear the city going on around. And this audience 
we just all sat completely still. You could hear a pin drop, except for the this beautiful, you know, sound design that was happening. But just like the collective breath of that audience having this moment of grief. And like, we were grieving this character that we had known for 40 minutes and uh, this shocking moment on stage, which was uh, again, just like, it's such a like, you know, it, it's such a, an incredible like structural moment dramaturgically. I admire it so much, but just, being there and feeling and just needing to grieve with like a room of a hundred other people in that moment and being able to do so via that that moment in the play was so powerful. And I will I will always be grateful for that play and that production for that moment for me. That is amazing. What a wonderful memory. What a wonderful testament to the power of the community of theater. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you both for sharing those memories. Those were so wonderful. Do either of you have any other productions or projects coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Well, Anthony and I <laughs> wrote the music and lyrics for a parody musical of Saw that's currently running at AMT. I won't get into the details on it, but if you want to go see a silly little musical about Saw, that's available. But because then now, because then if you, if you think about it, then with Axmas is Christmas and horror and Saw is horror. We eventually need to even out the scale, so we're going to write another Christmas show with, with, with Charlie. We're going to we're going to work on a, a Christmas Carol Part Two, and it's going to be a, a big send up to Dickens, and that's going to be a whole bunch of fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think that's what's next in the in the pipe for me as well. Is just like thinking about what happened, all the ways that Scrooge kept being terrible after he got fixed. So that's that's where my brain's gonna be at. And I'm also working on a play right now about Super Smash Brothers and 4chan and the the rise of the alt right. It's a history play from 20 or 2008 to 2015. So it's sort of trying to track, yeah, just like what happened to the internet during that period, but through the lens of like Super Smash Brothers tournaments. Wow. Okay. Very cool. And that, that's a great lead into my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about an Axmas story or about either of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Yeah, so the, the, the two best places, Charlie is, is currently championing our social media account. So you can follow us on Instagram at an Axmas story. So he's, he's, we, we got a lot of fun content over there where we've been counting down the days till opening, which has been a lot of fun. But also feel free to, to check out more about the show at anaxmasstory.com. You can check out one of our, our little animated lyric video. You can get a link to where you can buy tickets. You can read more about me, Charlie and Anthony. You can feel free to reach out. There's a contact, uh, contact button there because we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to love to have you come see the show. Well, Patrick, Charlie, thank you both so much for taking the time today to speak to me about this fantastic new show. I cannot wait to see it. I am genuinely excited. I will show up with bells ringing. It'll be wonderful. But I appreciate your time today and sharing this with us. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having us, Andrew. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. And and our third wheel, uh, Anthony D'Angelis, really wishes he could have been here, but it's smack in the middle of his teaching day. But he also says thank you for having us and wishes he could be here. Well, we appreciate him teaching. Teachers are great, so thanks to him. Mm -hmm. My guests today have been the co-creator and lyricist Patrick Spencer, the co-creator and book writer Charlie O'Leary, both who joined us today to talk about Cartwheel's theatrical presentation of an Axmas story. Playing November 30th through December 17th at the Players Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting ovationticks.com or head over to their website in axmasstory.com to get that as well and check out some fun videos and pictures as well there. 
We've got some other contact information for the show and for our guests, which we'll be posting on our episode description, as well as on our social media post. But make sure you head to the Players Theater. You join us out there between November 30th and December 17th for this fantastic holiday show, An Axmas Story. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.